you know, I was sitting backstage waiting to come on, and I, and, um, I heard all the talk. Everybody just, I get more news back there overhearing, and I can tell you who the loudest talkers are in the whole room, and they're not necessarily ones that are within 10 feet of me. Sometimes I, will, I won't point, but they're a long ways away, but I can hear everything you're saying, and it's really cool. I really enjoy it. It's really fun. So, and, but it seems like when the video, when the music stops, you quiet down a little. When the video comes on, a little bit more. When Pastor Todd comes out in due respect, full, sincere respect, it's silent here. It's just nobody's saying anything because, hey, it's Pastor Todd. And then we get into it. So here's what I'm going to do today, something different. I'm going to give you one more minute to talk. While you're doing that, I'm going to breathe. And then in a minute's time, I'm going to talk. And you can breathe. Okay, you got another minute to finish your conversation. If there's somebody sitting near you that you have not said good morning to, now's the time to do it. Don't go all over the place, just say hi. Still got 40 seconds. Morning. So Pastor Todd alluded to Friend Day. I hope that's kind of foremost in everybody's mind right now. We're T minus three, so we have three weeks from today is Friend Day, and it's going to be a big day. Don't come as a spectator. Don't come and see what everybody else did, but come and be part of this great day. And so today, we're going to continue the series that we started uh, last week on Friend Day and friends and the need and the biblical imperative and I want to start by saying, telling the story, uh, really, and reviewing the fact that Jesus invited the first four disciples to follow him. Some of you would remember that. It's a very interesting story, because he's making his agenda for them clear right up front. He wants them to know what this is all about, even though at first they didn't know what it was about. And when he told them, they didn't necessarily understand it, but it didn't take them long. And he said, I want you to follow me. And when you follow me, I'm going to make you into something that you're not already. So what would you do if someone came to you and said that? And we would expect somebody like Jesus to say, I want you to follow me, and I'm going to make you more disciplined. And I want you to follow me, or I'm going to make you more spiritual. And I want you to follow me, and I'm going to make you smarter. I want you to follow me, and I'm going to make you a better husband, or a better father, or a better wife, or a better mother, a better person. I'll make you richer. I'll even make you more organized. There are all kinds of things I could think of that if I follow Jesus, he'd want to make of me. And when he calls these, it's, it's totally different. When he calls these first four men to follow him, right up front he says, I want you to follow me. And when you follow me, I'm going to make you, and what he told them he was going to make them must have just scared them to death, or maybe more than scared them, probably confused them. And he said things at different times that they were a little perplexed about and didn't get it at first, because after all, this was not what they were interested in. And yet, as we're going to see here as we follow this story and, and a related one, they followed him anyway. And as we look at the story of Jesus, what we're going to discover is that the agenda for them is his agenda, and it's his agenda for me, and it's his agenda for you. Now, I hope I haven't lost you. I hope you're staying with me. Let's ride together. And like those first four followers, it's a little confusing. Matter of fact, it can be somewhat intimidating. And based on how you were raised, based on your religious background, maybe based on the church you grew up in, if you did grow up in a church, or maybe you didn't grow up in a church, but your experience with church and with preachers and with other Christians might affect your response to what I'm saying. But here's the, here's the deal. 
For those of us who consider ourselves followers, Jesus would say to us, as he said to those first four, I want you to follow me. And when you follow me, I'm going to make you something. And I would prefer that he make me more of something like more disciplined or more organized or a better leader or more healthy or richer or a better father. Oh, those are all prayers I pray. There are a lot of things I'd like for him to make me. And he says, oh, no, no, that, that's all fine. But Bob, if you really follow me, I'm going to make you into something else. So if you have your Bible this morning or if you have your Bible app, whatever you're using and you have that with you, let's turn to the book of Mark. And Mark, read in that the first chapter. Mark's a pretty easy book to find, even if you're not really comfortable around the Bible. You find the beginning of the New Testament, and the first book is Matthew, and then the second book is Mark, and you're there. It's the second book of the New Testament. Now, there are four stories or four accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible. Some of you know that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew tells the story of Jesus, Mark tells the story of Jesus, Luke tells the story of Jesus, and John tells the story of Jesus, but all from different perspectives. But they all tell the same story. So in the Gospel of Mark, he includes this account where Jesus called the first of the four disciples. Remember, he had these 12 quite ordinary men who followed him around. We know them as the 12 disciples. Jesus had other disciples but these were the ones who were in that inner circle. And the first four, when he called them, he gave them this agenda right up front. So I want to read a, a few verses to you, and you can follow along with me. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 14. After John was put in prison, now I've got to stop right there and explain, because this is kind of confusing, because this is a different man by the name of John, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is John the Baptist, a forerunner of, of Jesus. Uh, so a different man. He was Jesus' cousin, as a matter of fact. So uh, then it says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, that really was no big deal because Jesus was going around preaching and people knew that he was and people were follow, following to hear things and that's what we would expect. But here's what he would preach, verse 15. The time has come. In other words, to all you Jewish people who've been waiting for the Messiah... And you've had a lot of wannabe messiahs that have come along over the years and a lot of false messiahs. Well, get ready because the time has come and the promises that were made in the Old Testament, the promises that were made to Abraham and made to Moses and made to David and all the prophets, the promises you've been waiting for, the promises you thought God's already forgotten about probably, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. It's not here yet. But the kingdom of God is near. And of course, the Jewish people at that time thought God was going to run the Romans out of Israel, set up a physical earthly kingdom. So when they hear the kingdom of God is near, they feel it's about time. We've put up with this for a long time. We've been in bondage and slavery too long. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Then down to verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who would later be called Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. And then, for those who were kind of slow, for they were, what? Fishermen. Good. They were down by the water, and they were casting nets. That would make them good. Then look at what Jesus says. Uh, he's Let's go back to that 12th verse. Come follow me, and I'm going to make you more spiritual. I'm going to make you more disciplined. I'm going to make you more honest. I'm going to make you a better person. Oh, you follow me, and I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you very successful. No, he said, guys, I want you to follow me, and I know you don't even know what this means. I know you probably don't have any interest in this at all at the outset, but I'm going to make you into something you currently are not. I'm going to make you. You're not going to make yourself. I'm going to make you. It's not going to happen overnight. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So in verse 18, let's look and see what happens. And at once they left their nets and followed him, which seems very irresponsible. They're plying their trade. This is all they knew. This was their bread and butter. Here comes the stranger. 
He says, by the way, I want you to follow me. You don't know what I'm even saying, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. And without a hitch, the Bible says, all at once they left their nets and followed him. Their fathers owned the business or probably owned it before them or they maybe still owned the business and they worked with, with and for their father. They're working for their dad. I'm sure their dad's thinking, oh, one day my son's going to carry on with my fishing business and he'll probably have a really successful business as I've had. And they're saying, hey, dad, got to go. We're going with the teacher here. We've known him for like uh, about five and a half minutes and uh, we're leaving you in the family business and we're following Jesus. Now, doesn't that to you just on the outset, just right now, and don't get spiritual and Sunday schoolish on me, but doesn't that seem irresponsible? Doesn't that seem kind of odd? Yeah. Where are the rest of you on this? Are we going to debate it or am I going to move on? Okay. I want response when I ask a question. That's what questions are for. I don't want laughter. We don't want any frivolity in here. Everybody did serious. Verse 19. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. He doesn't say it here, but I'm going to add it, for they were... Oh, you... Your learning curve is amazing. Without delay, he called them. Wow. And they left their father, Zebedee. Got to go, Dad. They left him in the boat with the hired men... And what'd they do? Followed him. Now we got four guys that seem irresponsible to me. And I don't think they had a clue what Jesus meant when he said, I will make you fishers of men. Some of us sitting here today or standing here today have a slight idea what that means. But I don't think they had one clue. They might, uh, might not even really heard him when he said that. And they followed him. And you know what the, ma- the amazing thing is here? A few chapters later, by the end, further on in the New Testament, Peter, Andrew, James, John had become just that. They had learned what it meant to fish for men. They had become men who took the message they heard Jesus preach, and they began to share it in their own spheres of influence, their own inner circle, which were very different. And they were all different from one another. And they, they, they shared it through their own personalities, which were very different, too, from one another. And God used these four men to relay that message to a completely different generation of people, a generation of people who understood it wasn't enough just to follow, that to follow was to fish. And those followers became fishers of men who shared it with other people who understood that to follow was to fish. And it's not enough to just follow, you have to fish, who shared it with another group, who shared it with another group. And guess what? Here we are, 2,000 years later and more, celebrating and living for and worshiping the Jewish carpenter, not simply because people followed Jesus, but because a group of people understood that to follow is to fish. And Jesus accomplished in their lives exactly what he promised them, even though they had no idea what he meant. When he said, I'm going to make you something you aren't. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And not just these four people. There was a tax collector who became a fisher of men. There were some prostitutes who became fishers of men. There was a woman who'd been married five times who became a fisher of men. There was a guy who was full of demons and Jesus cast out the demons. And the guy went back to his hometown and became what? A fisher of men. Hey, and all throughout the New Testament, we discover there is a correlation between following Jesus and being a fisher of men. Now, these four guys, I think by their own admission, they'd tell you, in the beginning, they were, they were, really, they were really terrible at being fishers of men. They knew how to fish for fish. And there are a lot of kind of strange, almost funny stories. They didn't know what they were doing. They thought they did, and they kind of ran with it. And Jesus was always there. He had their back, and he would teach them, and he would bring them along. Sometimes he'd have to reel them in. Throughout the whole story, they are struggling to get it. 
But by the end of the story, these four fishermen and a couple of tax collectors and a whole bunch of different people from different walks of life, they all began to get it and became not just followers of Jesus, but became fishers of men. So what we're going to discover today and for the next couple of weeks as we get ready for Friend Day on October 23rd. When is Friend Day? October 23rd. If you have anything else on your calendar, get it off there because on October 23rd, guess what it is? Day. Yeah. And this is intimidating for some people. That for some of you sitting here right now, it's simply a reminder. For some of you sitting here right now, it's brand new. For some of you sitting here right now, it could be downright offensive. I understand, but his goal for you isn't simply to follow and try to be a better person. His goal for you is to follow and to do in the life of others, hear me carefully, what someone has done in your life. That explains why you are sitting here this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing is, when you and I became Christians, none of us really signed up for the whole ball of wax, did we? Because none of us really fully understood it all, or what it was going to be. Like, nobody in this room said, I want to become a Christian so that I can become a fisher of men, even though we used to sing the song in Sunday school. We had no idea what we were singing. Who wants to do that? See, I became a Christian for the same reasons many of you did. I had selfish motives, I guess. I didn't know I did then, but as I analyze it now, I'll admit it. I mean, I was young. I, I, I was in sixth grade. I was 11. That's four years of my life, first grade. And, and it was explained to me that when people die... This is explained to me. This is the kind of church I was brought up with, and I thank God for it all the time. When people die, they go to heaven or hell, and heaven is good, and hell is bad, and if you become a Christian, you go to heaven, not hell. Well, I don't know. I wasn't especially bright kid. I didn't knock everything out of the park, but that didn't take a whole lot of thought, did it? So I thought, I'm going to sign up for this. Not only that, but God was strangely moving in my young heart, and I realized I needed to make a decision for him. But I didn't understand all the ramifications of that decision. And when we get together to worship, and we get in here in this, this setting, and we get here with, with, with outside influences acting on us, it, it's kind of this, this line of thinking while we're here worshiping. Wow! Hey! God is good all the time! My God is faithful. He met this need for me this week, and he gave me peace in the midst of difficulty. And there's all this wonderful stuff that we rehearse in our minds about Jesus. Following Jesus has all kinds of advantages, doesn't it? And positive qualities. I mean, it's beyond just heaven when you die. There are all kinds of benefits right now. So most of us, like Peter, like Andrew, like James and John, we started following Jesus not because we wanted to become fishers of men. We never heard of that. We started following Jesus because of what he did for us and what he promised to us and what he was going to be for us, right? The same with these young men. The part of the story that Mark does not tell you is also kind of funny, and so I'm going over now to the book of Luke. I'm going to start in chapter 5. Because Luke gives more detail. Anybody have an idea why Luke would just naturally give more detail? Because he was a doctor. And doctors are people of detail, even though you can't read any of it. When, when you read the account in Mark, you may not have followed me or you may not even be with me, I don't know, but to me, when you read that account, it's a little bit unrealistic. And it does, and I'm going to use the word again, it does sound a little bit irresponsible. We know that it isn't. We know that everything worked out wonderfully, and we know that we're here today because they were faithful to their calling and all the rest of it. But, but just those words, follow me, and they said, okay, we'll follow you. You're a stranger. We'll follow you. See you later, Dad. Thanks for everything. Thanks for building this business for me to take over someday, which I'm not going to do. That's great. But I'm going to follow this guy in the robe. Got to go. See you, Dad. That doesn't really make sense. I mean, I'm having a hard time with this. 
But the part of the story that Luke tells, and Mark doesn't, is this. That this little incident about follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, that happened right after the deal where they'd been fishing all night. You remember the story? How many of you ever heard that story in Sunday school or children's church or VBS or on the radio or something? Okay. They'd been fishing all night. And Jesus says, and it's about 11 o'clock in the morning, hey, let's go fishing. And they're thinking, carpenter. All due respect to you carpenters. He doesn't know anything about fishing. See, we've been fishing all night when you're supposed to go fishing, and you want us to go fishing in the middle of the day? Listen, if we didn't catch any fish when we're supposed to catch something, we're not going to get anything but a sunburn if we fish now. Besides, we're cleaning our nets because we are, we know what we're doing, and we really don't need your advice. And Jesus says, no, you, 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 you don't understand me. Come and go fishing with me. I think Peter, impulsive Peter, or compulsive Peter, I, I, I think he was feeling a little, I think he was feeling a little guilt, maybe. There's something going on there. And usually he knew what he was thinking because he usually had his mouth open before the brain was engaged. And he's thinking, all right, because you say so, just because you say so, we'll go. And they went fishing. What happened there? They caught, listen to this, they caught so many fish, they couldn't get them all in the boat. And John, the son of Zebedee, comes over with his boat, and they start filling the second boat, and they got so many fish now, their nets started to break, and their boats began to sink. And they get to shore, and they got so many fish, they can't even count them all. And you can cart this one down and just put a big exclamation mark and a star beside it. This, my friends, is a miracle. I didn't say a mackerel, a miracle. And as soon as that happened, Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you Fishers of men. What else are they going to do? <laughs> Have they ever seen anything like this? Have they ever received a better offer? Come on. What would you think they could possibly do? What would ever beat what he's just displayed for them? I mean... Are they going to say, no thanks, Jesus, that was a good deal, you go ahead, do whatever you need to do, but we got to, do, we got to clean some fish here. And I think their fathers are saying, follow him, <laughs> follow him. We'll take care of the fish, that was awesome, never seen anything like it. He says he's going to make you into fish as a man, I don't know what in the world that means. We don't even know, hardly care, but you follow that guy. He filled our boats, and he broke our nets. He knows our business better than we know our business, so follow him. I want you to note they didn't follow Jesus because they wanted to be fishers of men. They followed Jesus because of what they saw. They followed Jesus because of what they had just experienced. They followed Jesus because of what he has done for them. And Jesus says, all right, I'll take that. That's a good start. You're, you're on the right road. But let me warn you, you follow me long enough. Christian, hear it now. Perk your ears up. You follow me long enough, and I'm going to lead you beyond where you are. Sort of that, what have you done for me lately? I'm going to lead you to become something you're not, because followers fish. You follow me long enough, and I'm going to take all the mundane stuff that happens between birth and death, and I'm going to take all of that stuff, and I'm going to use it to, and by the way, I don't know about you, but as I get older, I'm still real. I'm just realizing it fresher and fresher every day, every week. All of that stuff between birth and death. Hear me, hear me, hear me. I love you. I want you to get this message. All of that stuff is mundane stuff. I'll show you how much it means in the grand scheme of things. Zero. So here's what he's saying to them. You follow me long enough. And I'll take all the mundane stuff that happens between birth and death, and I'm going to take all that stuff, and I'm going to use it. Hear this now. This is the kind of God we serve. 
to bring, to make and to use it to bring eternal value to your life and in turn, eternal value to the lives of others. Wow! Woo! I got to get almost excited as you because this isn't just about bless me, bless me, protect me, provide for me, get me through school, help me find a husband, help me get a good job, help me move out of that house, help me get a better house. Isn't it true? Come on. Isn't it true most of the stuff we pray about is about this life? Oh, Bob, if you only knew what I was going through. I don't need to. I'm going through enough stuff myself. I can't add yours on. And I guarantee you, you wouldn't want mine. No, that's no... I know you think it's cushy life, and I've just been sailing on... Silver seas uh, for a hundred years. Very little of it really has any eternal value on its own merit. What am I talking about? The stuff we're concerned about. The stuff we worry about. Bob, listen to this. The stuff we pray about. The stuff we talk about. Very little of it really has any eternal value on its own merit. It's all about now. For us, it's all about Right here, the nasty now and now. It should be about the sweet by and by. It's all about this life right now. This, 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 this few years, and it's few. Even if it gets to be 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or somebody Facebooked me the other day and her mom had just turned that day, just turned 100. Or if it gets to be 100 and there's a lady right here in Hancock County this past week who turned 108. Or even if it's 108. Compare that to eternity. James says it's like a vapor. It appears for a moment, then it's gone. Now, God's concerned about those things that you are concerned about. I didn't say he wasn't, and I would never say that. And Jesus makes it very clear. But here's the real, honest answer that you need. Your Heavenly Father has the potential. Boy, if we could pray with this always in our minds, it would really help. And if we would operate our lives this way, it would really help. Your Heavenly Father has the potential to take all that meaningless, menial, catch this next word, temporary stuff. Maybe it's because I conducted a funeral from this very podium 20 hours ago. I don't know. But every time I do, every time I do, Perspective is brought in once again. And I'm realizing that life is a vapor compared to eternity. He is able to take all that temporary stuff that we're so concerned about, listen to this, and give it eternal value if we allow him to make us fishers of men. Because God, here's why, God will take what I'm going to major in and what I'm going to drive and where I'm going to live and who I'm going to date and how I'm going to afford this or that and where I'm going to find a job or where I'm going to find a better job or where am I going to find a job that doesn't just, as they say today, suck or where am I going to find a boss that I can live with? All those, show me, show me, Lord, lead me, lead me, Lord, guide me, guide me, Lord, protect me, protect me, Lord, heal me, heal me, stuff, all that. God has the ability to take it all. And he has the ability to shape it in such a way that you are perfectly positioned because of where you are and who you are and because of your life experience that you would be perfectly positioned in someone else's life to be the preeminent fisher of men on their behalf. There's somebody in your life or soon to be in your life, probably in there already, who is waiting for a fisherman to reel them in. And you are God's fisherman. So God would perfectly position you to impact another person and their faith in Christ because of what you have experienced. What does that include? Your successes? Mm -hmm. Your failures? Your highs, mm-hmm. your lows, yeah. your age, yeah. your finances, all that stuff. Yeah. God says, I will bring eternal value to all of that 
not simply within the context of life and death, but I'm going to use all of that to shape you and to form you, and I'm going to perfectly position you in someone else's life, and, and, and if you follow me, you're going to become a fisher of men or a fisher of women, and I'm going to use your job or your lack of a job. I'm going to use your healthy marriage or your unhealthy marriage. I'm going to use your lack of, maybe your lack of a marriage. I'm going, to, I'm going to use your children or the fact that you can't have children. I'm going to use your divorce. I will use the fact that you left your marriage, or I'll use the fact that you were deserted. I will use the fact that you tried, but you failed. I'll use the fact that you're in debt or that you got out of debt. All that stuff that consumes your thinking, God says, I will use that to leverage myself into someone else's life if you'll just follow me. Why, Bob? Glad you asked. Because followers fish if they're really following. It's kind of hard to believe, so let me try to make it clear because you might look at me and think, well, Bob, that's so easy for you. This must be the, one of the easiest messages uh, you ever got ready for. You're a pastor. You know how I view it? Can I take you into a, a secret compartment of my, my life? Here's how I view the same thing that I'm putting out to you. I look at you and I say, and I can point almost any direction in this room right now. And I can say to you, privately and individually, and without fear of contradiction, you know what? You'd be much better at fishing for men than I. Hey, you know why? Because I am a pastor. Because from my perspective... I start off with a huge disadvantage because when I talk to people, they expect me to talk about Jesus. Oh, there he goes. Can't help himself, always preaching, right on cue. Got to listen to that again. See, I'm not excusing myself. I'm saying we look at it from different perspectives, and in doing so, we excuse ourselves. No matter what our vantage point, it's so difficult to view ourselves and to think that we have any potential to be fishers of men. We don't have any choice. It's not about potential. We just look at other people and we say, oh, you, you're very outgoing and you like to meet people and you're very people. You'd be great. Or we look at somebody and say, wow, hold on to that because you would really be a good fisher of men because you've lived a life of sin and it wasn't even that long ago. You were down there. You were really into it, and God lifted you up out, and you got this great story. If I had a story like yours, man, I'd be a fisher of men too, but I, I kind of live this neat and tidy, wrinkle-free life, just kind of coasting along. Hmm. Yeah, and, I, and the people who've had all the sin and the junk in their past, they say, I couldn't be a fisherman. You're the fisherman. Look, you obeyed God, and you've lived most of your life for him, and you haven't got all the baggage, and I think you've got the leverage. See, somebody thinks that of me, and I think something that of someone else. It is almost impossible for us to look at our own lives and think that we could have potential to impact someone else's life to where they take a step toward God, and that's the important thing. But here's what I want you to hear. Jesus said, follow me, and what? Follow me, and what? Follow me. You haven't forgotten this message already. I'm not even done. Follow me and what? You worry me sometimes, I'll tell you. You wouldn't trade your worries with me because I get worried every time I'm up here. Like, I, think I don't think they're getting it. I don't think they just heard what I said. I don't think they even intend to take it out of here. But I know you do. So he said, follow me and... Oh, beautiful. In other words, you aren't going to come into this thing understanding it from the get-go. Peter didn't, Andrew didn't, James didn't, John didn't, Matthew didn't. None of them did. You're going to have some problems, and of course, you're going to do it wrong some, and of course, you're immediately, immediately, I mean, I mean, I mean you're, going to, you're going to stereotype yourself and people, and, and oh, you're, you're oh, 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 pastor, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about knocking on doors. I've done that hundreds of times. Let me tell you what. At one point, when Ellsworth was much, more, much smaller and much more compact, in the urban compact, a team of us knocked on every single residential door. 
And i got to just stand here and tell you, as a big coward, every door I knocked on and every bell I rung, I said a silent prayer. Oh, God, I hope they're not home. Oh, God, I hope they're sick and can't get up. Oh, God, I don't want that door to open. Yet we'd spend 100 hours training where to go, who to talk to, and how to answer the, the questions. So, no, I'm not talking about knocking on doors. Oh, I know. You're talking about handing out tracts. Well, I'm talking about friend day reminders and invitations. But not the religious tracts, where if you open it up, you get the four steps to take, and then you, all that stuff. Okay? I'm not talking about that. I know. You're talking about when they had the family reunion, getting all religious on the family members and zeroing in on certain ones that you know they, they need that. Now, and let me tell you something else. Jesus isn't even talking about that. He's not talking about a method. He's not talking about a methodology. He's talking about a process, and he says, if you follow me, I want to leverage what is only temporary in your life. You say, I don't know why I'm going through all this. I can't figure out what good this is. I don't know what God can do with me now or for me now. Oh, you need to stop talking like that. Because he said, if you follow me, I want to leverage what is temporary in your life for the sake of something eternal, because you are and you will continue to be perfectly positioned in someone's life. I don't know who the someone is. You've probably got some people running through your mind right now, and they're on your screen. In your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your job, in your sphere of influence, to fish for men and fish for women. That is to take with your own personality, don't change it, don't change your personality. This life-changing message, and there's somebody there, trust me, there is somebody somewhere in one of your circles who will listen to you. And there's somebody in that circle who will listen to you would never listen to me. And we could go around the room in pairs, and that's the way it would be. There's somebody whose life you will impact, if you haven't already, and I hope you'll impact more if you have. And you can impact that person that you're going to impact a lot better than the person who is sitting to your left or the person who is sitting to your right can impact that person. They maybe can't at all. Think about it this way. Go back in your mind and think about the person most influential in bringing you to faith in Christ. If you became a Christian as a child, think about the person. I was very fortunate. I had a lot of people that I could name there. But, but, but really, they, they were shepherding me along. I understand that now. And as I got older, I, I got that figured out. And I could name those people. If you became a Christian as a child, think about the person maybe... And this is my situation. When you hit 20, early 20s, 25, maybe when you hit 30, maybe when you hit 35, some people it's 50 or 60 or whatever age, doesn't matter. But they, their influence brought you back. You knew all that stuff anyway, but you weren't living it. You weren't following it. You weren't obeying it. But somebody came into your life that you were willing to listen to. And I can remember very vividly who that was 43 years ago. Let me tell you something about that scenario. Number one, you already had shared the message. They probably had heard it before. I mean, it happens. But the chances when you talk to somebody are that the person you have a burden for has heard the message. So it wasn't totally new. But what was different this time was the messenger. Something about that person. And I know that I had heard it from different people when I was living astray, and needed to be brought back in line. I'd heard it from a lot of people. And the truth was, I didn't need to hear from anybody. I already knew this stuff. But there was something about that person. There was something about their relationship with me and mine with them, which I, don't, I didn't even understand at the time. There may have been something about their story. There may have been something about their shared experiences. There may have been something about their situation. It may have been just something about their personality. I don't know. But something about that person combined with the message and combined with my current circumstances made them the perfect person for being a fisher of men in my life, and I'm telling your story too, in your life. I just want to say right now, with me, thank God for that person. 
Oh, but Pastor Bob, you and Pastor Todd can say it so well. I mean, look, I've been here now for, uh, oh yeah, I've been here for about 40, almost 40 minutes, and uh, I just now found the book of Mark. I mean, you got to be kidding. I mean, I'm so new to this, that, sorry, that, that excuse doesn't fly either. And I'll show you why. Here's what I want you to understand. I want all of us to understand. It is not just the message. It is also the messenger. And the message and the messenger, combined with the unique set of circumstances in our lives, will produce a, ah, I get it. I'm ready. I'm ready to believe it. I'm ready to follow it. Or I'm ready to come back to it, whatever the case might be. And some of you are sitting here and you're looking daggers through me because you're saying, I was right there, I know. And the right person shared the message with me in the right way, and I couldn't resist it. And I said, aha, that was my aha moment. See, whether you see it or not, as you follow Jesus, you have been and you continue to be perfectly positioned by God because of who you are and all of the life experiences you've had. And that's the type of person God wants to use to be a fisher of men or a fisher of women in somebody's life. So the purpose of this message this morning is this. If we aren't thinking in those terms, we miss the opportunity and we live our whole Christian experience trying to be good, trying to be better, more disciplined, more holy, better and better and better and better. And we have all these things going on in our lives that really have no value except for the value they are to us. And God says, I want to leverage your goodness. I want to leverage your sin. I want to leverage your success. I want to leverage your failure. I want thou all to be part of the package for the sake of somebody else. Because if somebody else hears what you've been through, that might be the stop sign for them. And that might be the welcome sign into the kingdom. And the only way to do that is to live life aware of this, aware, aware, Christian, that ultimately followers fish. And God doesn't want you to simply follow. He wants you to be a follower who fishes. And the way that happens is to live every day saying, Heavenly Father, here are my successes. Maybe you only had one success. Here's my success. Here are my failures. Here are my needs. Here are my wants. Here are my unanswered prayers. Here are all the things you've done for me. If you can use any of this or all of it to impact somebody else's faith, then I want you to use me. That's a, a noble prayer that you could pray every day. And you bring somebody, God, across my path that I can identify with and they with me, and they'll give me a listening ear, and I know you'll give me the words to say. I'm going to be on the lookout. Yes, I'm going to be on the lookout for that unique, divinely appointed opportunity to be a fisher of men for you, dear Jesus, not of the masses. I'm not going to win the world. I was so disappointed. After the first sermon I ever preached in public, and I got home, and I was asked, how did it go? And I said, pretty good, but I, I can't figure it out. And my wife said, why? And I said, because I preached probably the best sermons ever been preached, and I thought the whole world would get saved. It'd be over and done with today. And I was so serious. This isn't for the masses. This isn't even for the dozens or the hundreds or the thousands, but of that one guy. Or that one gal that you have put in my life, Lord, that one person in my office, that one family member who is far from you, and I'm burdened for him or her. And I want to be a follower who fishes for men. And if you can use my unique combinations of past, present, and future, and by the way, if you've got somebody in any of those situations and you can't get to first base, then you need to be praying for somebody who can. Because you think you're a failure because they won't listen to you or they won't respond to you. And someone else would come in and just like that, Boom, it could happen. And if you can use my life experience, God, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is, I want you to use those things for the sake of people who have yet to take their first step toward you. Or their first step was so long ago, they don't even remember it, and they need to come back to you. So followers fish. Let's say that together, okay? Just two words. Followers fish. What do followers do? Fish. Part of God's design for you is to make you and it doesn't happen over, overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. 
to make you a fisher of men. And no matter what your life experience is, no matter what kind of personality you have, no matter where you've been, the good, bad, and the ugly, you are a prime candidate to fish. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're not, uh, maybe you say, no, I'm not even a religious person. I have no idea why I'm here. Uh, I know what you're thinking. I know what's going through your head right now. I've been around. This is my first rodeo. I know what you're saying in your head right now. I know exactly what you've said already, or you're saying it now as I blunder on. You're saying, okay. This is exactly, I remember now, this is exactly why I don't like Christians. I don't like to be around these religious groups. Because one of the things that bugs you about Christians is that we're always fishing, if we're really following, and we're always trying or thinking about reeling you in. I want you to know right now, right here, you are surrounded by people just like you. And we're not one bit better than you. Some of us think we are, so that means that's another issue. They're not even as good as you. We just know. We're, we know we're not better than anybody, but we also know that we're better off than we used to be. It's not about being better than somebody. Are you better off than you used to be? Hallelujah. Because we've met our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, and we're glad somebody fished. I'm glad. Took me a long time to be able to tell people, thank you for fishing, thank you for praying, thank you for sticking with me, thank you for being a friend. And we're glad someone was perfectly positioned to impact our lives with the truth. And we're grateful for what God has done in our lives. And because of that and faithfulness to our Heavenly Father, how could we not give others the same opportunity that's been given to us? That's why we fish. That's why we talk about it. That's why we go on and on. In fact, there's a great story about two of these fishermen that we started, uh, we started the message talking about. Uh, we, st- we were talking about Peter and Andrew and uh, James and John. If you slide over to Acts, the, the book of Acts, just a, a few books over, uh, and, and get up to Acts 3. Oh, there's a great story, and I've got to share it with you. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be done in an hour. Don't worry. Don't get in a hurry or so. And, 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 and there's a great story. Peter and John... This happened to them after Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead, and even after he had ascended to heaven. Real quickly, before we wrap it up, want, and I'm nowhere near wrapping it up, I want to tell you this story. Maybe it'll help explain why Jesus calls us to fish, why we need to fish, and how we do it, even with our own distinct personalities. In Acts 3, verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, all three, uh, at three, excuse me, in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple, uh, the temple, the gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, some of you know this story maybe, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, another miracle coming, and, he instant, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts. That's where you go when you're praising God. Walking and jumping and praising God. Walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they, I know now why it's called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Well, I would think so. And now in chapter 4, if you get over to verse 1 there, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, and they're named that because usually they're Sadducee, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter, and they hadn't gotten over the resurrection thing yet, and hopefully nobody ever will. They seized Peter and John, they seized them. And, 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 and because it was evening, they put them in jail. I don't know what that means, until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, hallelujah, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And the next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law and the important people met in Jerusalem, met. 
Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. Well, we don't care. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power? <laughs> doesn't matter this guy got completely healed. By what power or by what name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, K-N-O-W, know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Then the most famous verse, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven which is given to mankind by which we must be saved. The bottom line is we have to fish because the message of Jesus is not an intuitive message. We have to fish because this message of salvation, listen to here, this is a great argument if you get into theological discussion. This whole thing of spreading the message of salvation, it's all grounded in history. Not just in your experience or mine. We have to fish because the message of forgiveness is not a message, well, you can sit someday under a tree and let the breeze blow and you'll come to it all on your own. You go sit under a tree and you'll probably be hit by an apple or something. Decide you're going to, I'm going to go now and I'm going to explore the mysteries of God and I'm going to use my IQ because I'm a very smart person and well-educated and I'm going to use my intellect to get there. And you can do all that, but guess what? You're only going to get part way. You're not going to get there. You're going to be part way. Here's what you'll probably arrive at. You'll probably arrive at the conclusion that there is a God. You may even uh, arrive at the conclusion that there's a good God. You might even arrive at the conclusion that there is good and evil in the world. And you might arrive at the conclusion that there is life after death. You might get about halfway and you'll be doing that strictly on your own. But the message of salvation is not intuitive. That is, here's what it means. You'll never know it or figure it out unless somebody tells you. Left on your own, you'll arrive at the conclusion that every other religion has arrived at. Because it's true when you take Christianity out of the equation, all religions seem to lead to the same place. And left on your own, you'd probably come to the same conclusion that every other religion has come to. Here it is, that there is a God. There is a good God. Somehow good people connect with a good God. So I'd better be good. Some people live their whole lives that way. And you try to be good. I don't know, you try to be good according to the Old Testament law or the Quran or Eastern mysticism or your own ideology of some kind. There are dozens of options once you decided that there is a good God and good people connect with God. But here's what the book of Acts, again, Dr. Luke is writing. Detail man. And he's quoting Peter and John. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Rulers, men of stature, all religious leaders, people of the cloth, and people of all faith, hear this. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's a unique claim. Let me tell you this. No one had ever made that claim before and no one else has ever claimed to be that person. Ever. So you can't arrive at that conclusion unless somebody comes to you and tells you that 2,000 years ago God sent His Son into this world and He touched down on planet Earth and He was crucified for your sins, yours and mine, and He rose from the dead. Oh, and now He sits at the right hand of the Father. And the good news is this, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Woo! You're not excited about that? There's no good people in this room, I'm sorry. No. 
The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. Any righteousness we have is imputed righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at us and says, you look good, he's seeing you through the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow. I don't care. I'm excited anyway. Good people don't go to heaven. Who goes to heaven? Oh, it's so great to be forgiven. Oh, man, that takes so much off of us. Ugh. I mean, it's like peeling an onion. It just like oh, takes so many layers off of just like. And we got so many people today, they call themselves Christians, and they're living in the past, and they're worried about what didn't happen, and they're. Oh. There is no other name by which you receive forgiveness except the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's give him glory in the church. It is not an intuitive message. You would never arrive at it on your own. It's history, therefore we must be told. Anything you know about history, you've been told by someone else. And isn't it true that even as I say that, there's something in your heart that stirs? Because when this indescribable supernatural truth of history intersects with the human heart, there's a dynamic that no one can really explain, except that God has called every heart and every soul to him, and this connection happens through the incredible message of forgiveness through his son Jesus. We don't become fishers of men because we have a superior morality. We don't fish because we have superior theology. We don't fish because we have answers to all the world's questions. We fish because we believe that just over 2,000 years ago, God came to this earth in the form of a man, and he was sent by God to be salvation for everyone and anyone who would receive him. That's why we still talk about it. And faith community, we better always be talking about it. Now, if you're here today, perhaps you're not a Christian. You haven't come to that place yet. You haven't taken that initial step. Or maybe you don't know if you're a Christian or not. Maybe you thought you were. Now, after I beat you down, you don't know what you are. <laughs> or you're not really sure what to make of all this. Or maybe you just say, I'm still checking it out. Good, 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 good. Well, nobody's going to push you anywhere. Or you say, I'm thinking about it. This sermon today is really geared for Christians. It really is to remind us all why we need to be fishers of men. And if we aren't, why we need to get going on that. Fishers of men, fishers of women, fishers of teenagers, fishers of children. And I wouldn't dare say all that and not give you an opportunity to embrace this incredible message. And so today I want to give you an opportunity to personally embrace this truth. Personally invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Well, why, Bob? Because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we, M-U-S-T, must be saved. And the way that happens is remarkably simple. You don't work for it. You don't deserve it. You don't jump and spin around three times, go to church eight weeks in a row, get your perfect attendance bar, get baptized. That doesn't do it. None of that. Do you know what it is? It's all about faith. It's all about specific trust. It's all about putting your weight in what Christ has done on your behalf. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what Christ has already done for you. That's the beauty of it. People get, oh, I don't know if I could do that because I don't know if I could hold out. I don't know if I could give this up. I don't know if I could stop doing that. I don't know if I wouldn't be able to go there. I'd have to go to church every 24 hours. I just don't know what I'd be doing. And when you receive the gift of forgiveness, you voluntarily say, I believe and I receive. And the Bible says and history shows and people would attest, that when an, an, an individual opens his or her heart, receives the gift of forgiveness through Christ the Savior, that you receive the forgiveness of sins, becomes a new connection between you and your Heavenly Father, and that's the beginning of a brand new life. And I want to give you a chance to take that step as I really and honestly prepare to wrap up again. That's what I love about preaching. You can do one introduction and many wrap-ups. Just say to your Heavenly Father what I just said. Say it in your own words. Just bow your head in quiet. I, I don't care if you close your eyes. There's nothing special about that. If today you'll just take that step, 
Just say something like this. Just go ahead and say it in your own heart, your own mind. Today I believe it. Today I'm going to receive God's forgiveness. Today I'm going to acknowledge. There's no other name. No other name. My salvation doesn't hinge on me. It hinges completely on Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. And if you do that today, it'll be a brand new beginning for your life. We'd love to know about any decision that you make. We'd like to know if you've prayed that prayer today and really meant it. We'd like to know if you want to go further in your steps towards God. Matter of fact, we'd ask you to take that Connect card that's in the seat back in front of you and just on the back of the card, there's a place to indicate, today I became a follower of Jesus and I'd like to know more about my next steps. Fill it out. Give it to me as soon as you leave today or leave it in the, one of the boxes in the lobby. We'd be glad to follow up with you. And for the rest of us, leave you with this thought. It isn't about I believe, why don't you believe? It's a poor way to do it. This is about something that happened in history. It's become part of our story. It has transformed our lives. And at the very deepest level, we want people to know the story. So let's follow Jesus. Let's let him use us. And let's let him make us into fishers of men. Because followers fish. God bless you. Thank you.